Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello there. I'm Dave Berry, and I am fascinated by my next-door neighbour. His name is Neil Srinivesan, and he is a leading cardiologist. And whenever we get together, I am always left with more questions about his profession than I've had answers, no matter how hard I try. And in The Doctor Next Door, I'll be asking Neil the burning questions that keep me up at night, dissecting medical myths under his watchful eye, and doing my utmost to learn more about an industry that is quite literally a matter of life and death. But this podcast isn't just about me. No, I want you to be involved in these conversations too. Let Neil be your doctor next door. So whether you have any questions or be it stories, send them to doctoratnextdoorpod.com right now. Ah, that must be the doctor next door. Hey, Neil. Hi, David. Good to see you. Good to see you too. So, um... I want to start the podcast this week, if I may, by saying that we've become intrinsically linked. I don't know if this is dogging you as well, but I can't see anybody else in my social circle without them saying like, oh, how's Neil? Oh, I've got a story about Neil. Isn't Neil wonderful? <laughs> All that kind of stuff. Yeah. right? And I saw our friends, Arthie and Sam, the other day. Yeah. What a lovely couple. Lovely guys. And I was talking with Arthie and she said that uh, you guys are all hanging out. You're with the kids. You're playing in the park. And she described it to me immediately. We'd had a couple of red wines at the time. We were in a new back garden. You know, they moved house. Lovely house. So uh, she said there was a water wheel in the park and the water kind of goes down into a metal bowl. And then there's some sand involved. And she said that the kids had been playing with it. And then it was time to leave the park and they all walked away and she, she turned around and she noticed that you were still stood there. You were staring at it. And she went over and she said, it's time for us to go, Neil. And she was shaking you, but you just were transfixed by what was happening here. And then she said, you just murmured under your breath, electrical wave fronts. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was in a bit deep daydream that point. A yeah. bit of a daydream. Um, no, the point of this is, is that, <laughs> and what we went on to discuss is that, you know, as a medical professional, you're finding inspiration all over the place. Things are reminding you of the human body and ways in which you can improve procedures and before we started the podcast today, before you knocked on the door, I just wanted to check you were there. <laughs> I wasn't have to use our own sound effects and that'll yeah. blow the budget. Um, and you said you're actually going to use what you saw in the sand that day in a procedure on an actual human later on this afternoon. That's right. Tell us all. So I was just thinking about it. So this um, water wheel, you turn the wheel and it fills into this sort of big tub fundamentally. And because it's in a sand pit kids have obviously put sand all over that tub as well so as the water was flowing it's meant to sort of flow downhill into a little sort of pipe and then there's a plug 
and then you release the plug and the water flows out into the sandpit. And as it was flowing out, and as I was sort of sat there trying to fill it up for the kids and everybody to play, I start noticing that because there's sand there, the sand was causing some slow flow of the water in one direction. And then the wave was turning, arcing around that slow flow or just trickling through. And then there was collision of the fast wave on the other side. And that made me think, that's exactly what I do in my day job. Because I look at flows of electricity. There are patchy bits of scar inside the heart, which slow flow of electricity in certain areas, make the wave front of electricity curve, cause collision. And that is what causes, you know, rapid lethal heart rhythms. And I thought, what if I did something different relating to how I pour the water in the heart by beating in the heart in some way? What if I did that? That would help me find that area where the sand is, where it's slow and where it's turning quicker. And that's what I do now. Wow. And that's the difference between your two hosts here on The Doctor Next Door. When Neil sees a sandpit, that's what he thinks. I think, oh, I can read with a pina colada right about now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually written a paper about it. Have you? Yeah. Well acclaimed. I speak about it around the world. This new technique, thanks to the sandpit. My goodness. Yeah. Have you, and you've saved, you've changed lives with the sandpit technique. Yeah, I get people phoning Copyright me. Copyright Dave Berry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> people phoning me from India, China, everywhere, saying, how do I do this? All because you went to the park with the kids. Absolutely. I'm so pleased that our friend Arthur told me that story because that is really genuinely fascinating to hear. Well done, mate. Yeah, thanks. In each episode of The Doctor Next Door, I bring a burning question to Dr. Neil, a question from the world of medicine that I am desperate to get to the bottom of. Now, as we've just established at the beginning of the podcast, Neil is one of the world's leading cardiologists. He's a genius to the point of it being like a beautiful mind. He's sitting in a sand pit. He's come up with a way of saving lives. So it might seem a little trivia what I'm about to ask you, Neil. <laughs> Given that people from India and China are calling you saying, how do you do that, techers? I want to save a few lives. But, you know, the summer's here. People are hoping to go on their holidays. COVID restrictions have been, you know, relaxed. And so it's a, an opportunity for people to go away for the first time and for many people in a long time. And that brings us to motion sickness. Doctor... Why do some of us get motion sickness? Good question. Do you get motion sickness? Not really. Not a great deal. I don't know why that is. The closest I've had to motion sickness, because uh, I was thinking about this ahead of asking you the question today, was I remember going on really long car journeys as a kid in the summer holidays because we basically holidayed in the UK. Yeah. So there would be, uh, my dad would be driving, mum would be in the front passenger seat, then there'd be uh, me sat behind my dad, my sister sat behind my mum, and then in the middle of us would be my nan. Okay. And uh, the closest I've had to motion sickness is uh, my nan's being perfectly allowed to, because it was the 80s, yeah. allowed to smoke 40 Lambert and Butler while she sat between <laughs> us on a day where it was like 35 degrees. Yeah. Um, so made that made feel me feel quite sick. Yeah. But in the kind of term, which I'm hoping to find out more about, yeah. in the loose terms of motion sickness, no, I've luckily escaped that one. That's good. That's interesting, see, because I get it. Okay. Uh, I've grown out of it a bit. My kids get it really badly. Oh, really? Because there's a family history to it. And I, I think, you know, it, it, it's something some people get and some people don't. Motion sickness really is relating to your balance centers in your brain. And balance is very complicated. There's lots of inputs. 
Because if you imagine, you need to understand where you are stood in space and gravity in order to be, you know, a moving human, basically. So you need to take in inputs from lots of things, your eyes, your ears, and your sensory aspects of your body, your feet, you know, your legs, you're stood on steady ground, etc. And one of the most important bits is, uh, we've broached about it before, the labyrinthine system in the inner ear, these semicircular canals. They have a series of fluid within there, and the fluid then also has some hairs or cilia, and those hairs are sort of sat there floating in the fluid, and as the fluid moves, those hairs are then brushed in certain directions, and they are part of your balance input. So that's telling you you're turning your head one way because the fluid moves one way, and therefore the cilia, the hairs, move in one way. Your brain takes that as an input and then realises you're turning in some direction. You then use that along with your eyes, so you're inputting stuff from your eyes, and you're also then using your main other nervous system, so you're using things like your touch, your joints, your other receptors. So people get motion sickness because there's an imbalance or a confusion within that, and that causes the brain to get confused and causes the brain to think, I don't understand, are we moving or are we stationary? I'm confused and I think I'm moving more than we oh, should so be. So you're sitting stationary in a car that's moving at 70 miles an hour. That's exactly. That, so that you can see the world whizzing by, yeah. but your body realises it's not actually moving itself. Exactly. So there's this imbalance. So you rightly say cars and often with kids because it's very difficult, they're small and they can't see over the window. So they've got no horizon reference. When you're in the sea, I've been out in the Pacific actually many years ago, outside the the coast of Peru on a boat. And there's nothing you can do in the Pacific. Everybody on the boat's seasick. And, you know, even, you know, esteemed veteran sailors will get seasickness because you are in the ocean. You have no proper land or horizon reference. Your feet are moving, so you're getting the sensation of moving of your body and your, you know, vestibular system is is moving. And so you you then start to feel queasy, you start to feel clammy, you start to feel sick in your stomach, and you can't stop vomiting. So commonplace is obviously car, sea, air, etc. But anything that involves movement can make you sick, even a roller coaster. You know, I've never felt motion sickness in my life until you told that anecdote about being out at sea. Yeah. <laughs> I feel really rather queasy. <laughs> Thanks for that, doctor. Yeah. You're meant to heal people. <laughs> <laughs> And so uh, the other thing to say is, you know, as we've talked about, there's family history. There are people with inner ear disorders who might have a sensitivity to it. You're more sensitive to it when you're pregnant. And there are certain diseases, you know, you've got migraines, history of migraines. You might have some problem with the inputs that go into the brain, Parkinson's disease, those kind of things. And also, you know, menstrual periods, things like that can also influence this and make you more prone to having motion sickness. So there's obviously a variety of, of reasons as to why it can occur in somebody there that you've just highlighted. How, how, do, how does one prevent motion sickness? Is there a cure? Is there a, a pill for this? So, so the first thing to do is obviously you mentioned in your car, you know, hot summer's day, sweaty, lots of cigarettes Nans next to you. on a 10th Lambert and Butler, yeah. Exactly. So fresh air, having direct vents and blowing and opening the windows, not being too hot is helpful. I don't know if you ever got, I used to live in Leeds and I used to get the National Express back home. I used to read on the National Express. And if you read while your, your eyes are focusing on a you know, piece of paper or a magazine or something and you're moving and you're not focusing on the horizon, you start to get sick. So gazing out onto the horizon is helpful for you because you then got a flat land-based input that you're putting into your brain to try and calm the brain down. 
sometimes having some something cool to drink or having plenty of water to drink is helpful and also trying to stop the motion you know maybe get out the car stand on dry land for a bit stop a bit and try and you know regain those senses can be helpful there are also some medications so some people get really bad motion sickness even in adulthood anything the slightest thing and it's probably because they've got some oversensitivity of some of those sensory inputs so antihistamines can be very helpful we've talked about that before in hay fever Um, and they can sometimes help there are also some other medications you could go to your gp for particularly if you get you know air sick really badly and you need to go on your summer holiday you can speak to your doctor about you know certain anti-nausea medications and there are certain skin patches that can be given to certain people to uh, help them in terms of trying to help the symptoms it is, of course, a terrible affliction um, which dogs so many people. And as I say, not only is it about people travelling a holiday, but it's also just about living your life and not feeling sick. So that's why I wanted to talk to you about motion sickness. And it's nice to hear for so many people that there are things that can be done about it. Neil. It is now time for that part of the pod. Yes, it is time for Dave's medical training. I know you love playing along where you are. Once again, Dr. Neil has come armed with three questions from the medical world. Neil, take it away. So, David, your first question is... There is only one part of the human body that has no blood supply and receives oxygen directly through the air. But can you tell me which part of the body that is? No. (laughs) I knew that was coming. Your three options. A, the hair. B, the cornea. Or C, the skin. Which of those three parts of the body has no blood supply and receives oxygen directly through the air? Okay. Okay. Tough one. These are... Oh, the last few weeks, yeah. I think I got one last week. I got mm. one and a half the week before. Yeah. This is, yeah. I think you've done something to upset somebody in medical school. <laughs> you mean you, don't you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what's the next question? <laughs> okay, question two. How many times does the average person blink every minute? Okay, it's time to talk amongst yourselves. Okay. <laughs> uh I'm always suspicious of people who blink too much or those who don't blink enough. Me too. Mm. Exactly. Mm. So, so okay. you've you got three options. Yeah. How many times does the average person blink every minute? A, 5. B, 15. C, 25. Okay. 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 Yeah. And your favourite one, last one, true or false, saved you last week. Yeah. Your right kidney is higher up than your left kidney. True or false? (laughs) Okay, so they are our three questions on this week's medical training. We are going to be getting the answers next. But in the meantime, another podcast from the producers of The Doctor Next Door we think is going to be right up your street. Ever yearned for the perfect pub to reveal itself from some unexpected alley? Well, The Moon Underwater is the podcast for you. Join me, John Robbins, and the lovely Robin Allender as we help a special guest create their dream pub. From the drinks behind the bar to the music on the jukebox, The Moon Underwater is whatever you want it to be. So, if you would like to join us in Desire's beating heart, search The Moon Underwater. Or maybe The Moon Underwater will search for you. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome back to The Doctor Next Door. Before the break, Dr. Neil asked us all three questions to test our medical knowledge and it is time to find out the answers. I'm desperate to improve this week. So let's get down to business. Okay. so your first question was, there is only one part of the human body that has no blood supply and receives oxygen directly through the air. But can you tell me where this part is? Okay. A, hair, B, the cornea, or C, the skin? I've gone for B, the cornea. Amazing. How did you get that? I got that because the hair is obviously attached to the scalp, so there's definitely flow there. The skin is the largest organ in the human body. Very good. And that left B, which um, I know as well, they can kind of dry out and stuff, can't they? Absolutely, from contact lenses. As a contact lens wearer. I'm never far from the cornea. Exactly. So the cornea is the front lens of the eye, and it's the only part of the human body with no blood supply. It gets oxygen directly through the air. And the reason for that, obviously, is that um, you want to let the light through your eye. So you don't want to have blood vessels in the front part of your eye to um, bend the light or make you see funny things. And say you're, you're absolutely right, that's the only place where you don't have any blood vessels. And you need to be careful when you're a contact lens wearer, for instance, because it can then lead to the cornea drying out. And, you know, people, for example, who fall asleep with their contact lenses in, it's advised not to. And you may have some drying of the eyes and things because of that. So you need to be very careful and look after those. Yeah, falling asleep with your contact lenses in is one of the worst things you can do to yourself. Really? I don't wear contacts. What's it like? It's awful. But you have to like you basically peel oh, really? a piece of tiny plastic, dry plastic yeah. off of your cornea sticks, and it comes out. And I've actually had one where I fell asleep, didn't realise that it had happened, yeah. and I had some trouble with my eye for ages. I was on holiday in, yeah. in Morocco, and it was really hot. And uh, producer Jack's got his head in his hands. This isn't a good chat for you, is it? <laughs> I, I chat, not good. Yeah. Um, but it had basically become a really hard 
crusty ball and it had just dis- made itself up into my eye. Oh, no. And the sense of satisfaction when I worked this out and I lifted up my eyelid and I had to like reach in and just pull it out of the corner, the relief was just joyous. Ouch. Sounds really painful. But, you know, be careful out there. Exactly. <laughs> Look at his face. <laughs> uh, okay, right. What was the next one? All right. Question two. <laughs> yeah. How many times does the average person blink every minute? How many times did producer Jack blink during exactly. that last answer? Yeah. Oh, I want to know. Yeah. Okay, so what were the three options again, please, Doctor? So our three options, A, five, B... No, and that's, that's, you're a Bond villain. If you're blinking just five times, at, yes, go on, carry exactly. on. exactly. B, 15. Yeah. And C, 25. I've gone straight down the middle. B. He's on fire this yeah. week. Yeah. Amazing. It's got, it's got to be. As I say, I'm dubious of people who don't blink enough and those who blink too much. Yeah. And if I kind of put those into a watching a human face do it just five times in a minute or 25 times in a minute, yeah. it makes me feel uncomfortable. Fight or flight kicks in. I'm not happy with what I'm seeing. It's got to be down the middle. Absolutely. So, yeah, absolutely. The average person blinks around 15 to 20 times a minute. And actually, that means that your eyes are closed for roughly 10% of your overall waking hours, which is interesting. Oh, that is interesting. Now, um, newborns and infants blink uh, often uh, a lot less. Um, they may only blink a handful of times every minute. Uh, and some pe- babies, you know, infrequently blink, you know, maybe once a minute, which is interesting as well. Yeah, freaky. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Those little babies. Uh, okay, so I'm two out of three this week. Yeah. I'm happy You're with that. You're on fire. I was surprised. It's quite tough. Well, yeah, I know, but, but, come back but I've applied logic to each of yes. these. Like, I've genuinely answered these. Yeah, I'm okay. impressed. There's okay. still time for me to blow it on the last one, though, yeah. so don't worry. It's a true or false one. You can apply logic to it. And the question was, your right kidney is higher up than your left kidney. Is that true or is that false? For a full house, for the first time in a wee while, I've gone for true Oh, oh no, 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 no. no! It was so close. Such I a just, trick question. My thing was, I just thought that, I just thought maybe one, one works. One is primary. higher than the other. Well, that's the point then. It's the wrong way round. Your left kidney is higher than your right kidney. Oh what? Yeah. Shut up. Yeah. No way. I'm having half a point. No way. But you ain't getting no points this, for this one. One of your kidneys is higher than the other. No point. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, well, because one of them I thought would be primary, the other one would be secondary. Is it something to do with that one takes a bit of flack before you need to involve the other one? No. No. Okay, all right, all right, fair enough. So the kidneys we talked about, they're so important. They produce urine, they excrete all the toxins out of your uh, body. Your left one is slightly higher than your right one. If you think about it, on the right side sits your liver. So in the right-hand side of your abdomen sits your liver. Yeah. And therefore your right kidney has to sit slightly lower. Because yeah. the liver's in the way. F*** you, Neil. <laughs> Apologies for that outburst, dear subscribers. Now, Doctor Next Door isn't just about Doctor Neil and myself. We love it when you get in touch as well with your questions and your stories. Send both along to doctor@nextdoorpod.com, or of course you can find us on the socials. Give us a little follow. It's Doc Next Door Pod. So let's hear this week's correspondence. And this week we have an email from Karen that reads, "Hi, Doctor Neil and Dave." 
First of all, I have been a big fan of your podcast from the very beginning. You both have such friendly voices with lots of laughter. And it's amazing what knowledge Dr. Neil has. It must be fun to have a drink in a bar with both of you. <laughs> You'd be surprised, Karen. <laughs> I have a question. Dr. Neil. Now, this is a very interesting question, Doctor. Because Karen asks... Can somebody die because of a broken heart, or is that just a poetic myth? I hope there are lots more episodes to come. They make my Wednesdays better. Your faithful listener in Austria. All the best, Karen. Well, Karen, first of all, thank you so much for your very kind words, and thank you for what is a brilliant question. So, um, medically speaking, can somebody die of a broken heart? Absolutely. That's a really good question. And you can die from a broken heart. Really? Yeah. Wow. So, That's one of the saddest things I've ever heard. It is really That's sad. profoundly sad. I know. Wow. It's very interesting because throughout history, we've known about these you know, medical mysteries of people suddenly dying unexpectedly. Unexplained deaths from traumatic emotional events have always been described throughout history. And then in the 90s, you know, in the 90s, there was this boom in cardiology in terms of our abilities and to image the heart better. So we were learned to put tubes in from the leg and now we put them all from the wrist. And these patients often behaved like a heart attack. So people were injecting dye into the arteries of the heart to look for blockages. And so the patients would behave like that, but they would have no blockages of the heart arteries. But when you inject a dye into the cavity of the heart, the heart is like a sort of V-shaped structure. And the bottom of it's called the apex, and that should look quite narrow, like the tip of the V. And the apex would balloon out. It's called apical ballooning. So the Japanese group actually found a series of people who had been rushed to hospital after death of loved ones or dramatic changes in their life. And they had all of this stress and they were suddenly really unwell. Heart failure, presenting like a heart attack, being unwell or, you know, some patients dropping dead as part of that. And they noticed that they had this ballooning of the apex, which was not contracting. And they labelled the term Takitsubo cardiomyopathy. And Takitsubo cardiomyopathy is named actually after a Japanese fishing pot the Takitsubo pot, which is a fishing pot that they use with this big sort of balloon at the bottom to catch octopus. And so they named it after this. And it's fundamentally a stress cardiomyopathy. So cardiomyopathy means you get like a problem with your heart muscle. And in certain people, for certain reasons, you get intense amounts of adrenaline secreted because you are so stressed and upset by some kind of life event. When you get that high level of stress and adrenaline secreted there seems to be some effect on the bottom part of the heart muscle and it becomes extremely weak. It stops contracting and it balloons out. So the most of the heart is contracting, the middle of the heart and the, the, the sort of top of the heart, what's called the base, they squeeze together. But the bottom, the apex, doesn't contract and it can be associated with the risk of heart failure and of lethal heart rhythms and a risk of you know, sudden cardiac death. The good news is that actually now that we understand that better, we also understand the treatment for that much better. And actually people do very well from this condition if it's recognised. If they go to hospital and they receive the right treatment, most patients actually make a full recovery without any you know, damage to their heart long term. Oh, great. Well, that's absolutely fascinating and inspired by one of your correspondents. So thank you once again to Karen. And as I say, you can get in touch anytime you like with us here at Dr. Next Door. It is doctor at nextdoorpod.com. We'll have another correspondence next week.
And that's it for this episode of Doctor Next Door. As ever, thank you to my regular co-host and next door neighbour, Dr. Neil Srinivasan. We'll be back again next time when Dr. Neil will again be guiding us through the medical world. I'll have another burning question and we'll be answering more of your questions too. Please rate, review and subscribe from wherever you usually get your pods. And if you do know a doctor or a nurse or a medical professional who you think might like what you've just heard, then please do let them know about us. Now... I've already said a very naughty word on the podcast today, so I need a little word with myself. Please kindly accept my apologies and get out of my house. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 